Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Helen. I'm Janet. I'm Mel. And I'm Jenny. On Asian Boss Girl, we talk a lot about dating and love and have shared many personal stories about love and relationships from our younger years. When To All the Boys I've Loved Before came out on Netflix, we all watched the movie and relished in the sweet nostalgia of young love, reliving the butterflies from first crushes, feeling the blush in our cheeks from awkward firsts, and wiping away hot tears that stain a naive heart. On today's episode, we have the opportunity to pick the brain and the mastermind behind this series. Jenny Han is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Two All the Boys I've Loved Before series. She's also the executive producer on all three of the Netflix films, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, To All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You, and to the final film, To All the Boys, Always and Forever. Please welcome to Asian Boss Girl, Jenny Han. Yay! Hi! Woo! Hi. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Hi! Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Well, we definitely want to just get straight into it. Our our listeners are big fans of the movies, so we want to hear a little bit about how you grew up. So we know you're a Korean American. You grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? You know, how would you describe Jenny in high school? Jenny in high school was in some ways kind of in heaven because um, in middle school, I went to a pretty like white middle school and I got teased because I was sort of the only Asian in the school. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember like getting teased on the bus. And then I really didn't want to go to the same high school as all those people. And so I then applied for a um, magnet school called Governor's School. And then it was so diverse. It was like, when I got there, you know, half the people at my Korean church went there also, by the way. And then honestly, my school was so not diverse that I don't, I never got to go to like a bat mitzvah even. Like there weren't any Jewish people in my school. Mm. Um, much less, you know, when I got to Governor's School, it was like my my friends were like Sikh and, and like Muslim and like, Hindu and like all different kinds of um, cultures because it was like a multicultural school. And so I felt really lucky, like, and it was really cool to be um, different yeah. at my school because people had a lot of pride in that. We, we used to have like an Asian um, assembly where we would all like 
showcase our different like Asian cultures and stuff. And I remember we loved that moment to be able to kind of show out. And um, mm-hmm. it was it was a different kind of high school experience because essentially everyone was kind of a nerd, but people were proud to be <laughs> nerds, I guess, in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome though, that like you went you went from like a I guess like a more white dominated school to like a diverse high school. I think growing up I also went to a really diverse high school and I feel like I learned so much for being surrounded by different cultures. Um, I'm also very curious, you know, because most of us are familiar. We know Laura Jean and Peter Kavinsky. You know, is this based on your own high school experience? Um, did you write love letters to someone, you know, maybe in your new high school? I definitely got the idea from my own life where I used to write these secret love letters. <laughs> But mainly I was like crushing on, well, it wasn't just high school. So I did it in college too, but like, oh, like I had some, some, I had some crushes of like people from my church, people from school, like it was a mix. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's wonderful. It's, it's very interesting to know that that is informed by real life because I feel like probably that's something that runs through the minds of a lot of young watchers who can relate um, to, you know, passing those notes and. Um, it's so beautiful that you had full-on re- letters written. Um, so speaking of your your writing, you uh, you attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and you also got your MFA in creative writing at the New School in New York City. Um, can you share with our listeners, when was the moment you knew you wanted to be a writer, and how did you land specifically in the young adult genre? You know, I've always been a writer. Like, when I was little, I used to write stories um, in my notebooks and I would always win the writing contest at my school Mm. but I never really thought I could be a writer because I'd never seen one that was Asian American Mm. or young Mm. it didn't occur to me honestly it seemed like you could either be like a teacher or a lawyer or something like that and Mm -hmm. in the arts I don't think that I saw that possibility even though I knew I loved to read and write um, I never really imagined that could happen for me. And it really wasn't until I was in college and I took a writing workshop um, and I started writing this book that became my first book called Suge in the class. And then after I took that class, I thought, well, you know what? I think maybe I could be a writer. And when I graduated, I applied for graduate school for writing programs, but I also was applying for publishing jobs um, for like library school, like anything that would put me near books and stories was where I wanted to be. So I I think I applied to like a bunch of different programs, one like in Scotland for like a master's in, in creative writing and then one like at UPenn as like a reading specialist. Oh, and, wow. but I really wanted to go to New York and I really wanted to, to get my MFA. And that was mm. like the main goal for me. I got into everything I, I, I applied for, but that was the top choice. And that was probably the scariest decision because- I took out a bunch of loans mm. and, um, mm. you know, moving to New York, like it's a big life decision, I think, because yeah. I had never lived in such a big city before, you know? Mm. Um, but I remember that my mom, when I told her I wanted to do that, she was like, you're going to be successful. Like, you, have, you have a special gift. Oh. So like, I'm really not, we're not like worried about you. Wow. Like it's going to be fine. Cause I was just like, you know, $30,000 in, in loans or whatever, actually more than that because, because of the dorm. Um, it's a lot of money. And, you know, if you do, um, if you, if you go and get your master's in teaching or you go to law school, you'll probably get a job afterwards, but with a master's in creative writing, there's really no guarantees. Mm. And so you're really kind of putting yourself out there and taking a big risk. But luckily my parents, they're so risk averse too. They're such warriors, but for this one, 
I really like have to like hand it to them that if they were worried, they were like not telling me, I'm sure they were worried because my dad worries about everything. Um, but they didn't really tell me they were worried. My mom said she really believed in my like gifts. And so that I think I was really lucky to have, um, supportive parents with that. And they definitely, I, I took out the loans, but at the same time, definitely when I was like low on money, I'm like, I need $200. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like giving me money when I needed to. So I, I was really supported in that way. And, um, so I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Well, we're so happy we have, uh, mama and papa Han to thank for, um, <laughs> for all of these beautiful talents in movies. Um, uh, uh and so that, that was, a. Uh, Wow, like a very inspiring story for writing. And what drew you to the young adult genre specifically? As I said, I started writing my first book when I was in college. So I was only a year out from being a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I'd always loved young adult books, um, even though the genre as it exists today didn't really exist in that same way growing up, right? Because now there's, we take up a lot of real estate in the bookstore. Um, but before you had like less options and you kind of went from Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley straight to like Stephen King mm. and Danielle Steele, like in sixth grade, <laughs> right? Um, That's true. So there was not like this kind of bridge between being a kid and then um, being a teenager. You went straight to the adult stuff. Yeah. And I continue to be really interested in, and I would say moved by the teenage experience. Um, I think because it is such a heady, like passionate, like compelling time mm. to be alive. You are experiencing things for the first time in your life. You are sort of in a new body, You have Mm -hmm. like the, just physically like hormones are like racing through your body and you have very little control over your life. Mm. You know, like your parents really decide where you live and they could at any moment say we're moving and then you just have to go, Mm -hmm. you know, so you don't have a lot of control. You don't have a lot of autonomy, but you have all these like big feelings and you're going through so many milestones. And I really feel like I've always tried to approach writing for young people as the same as I would for writing for an adult, because the experiences might be different, but the feelings are really the same. And, Mm. you know, when you get into a horrible fight with your best friend in high school, and you're like, I don't even know who I'm going to like sit with today at lunch, and you're so alone, like that emotion isn't so different than when you as an adult have a hard day at work. Like, it's just, Mm. I don't think one is more important than the other Mm. because it's all relative to the moment that you're in and sort of how big the fishbowl is, I guess, that you're living in, you know, and it gets bigger as an adult, but I don't think the emotions and the heart of it, they don't really change. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I definitely felt so much of that in Always and Forever, these like deep uncertainties and also just pure excitement for, for life. Um, I'm curious, Jenny, because your core audience is younger than yourself and younger than all three of us who are fully grown (laughs) adult women. But we felt like you captured these teenage moments in the book and in the film so well. How do you write for a teenage demographic and a younger generation? I mean, honestly, I just try to really approach it like writing any other like human, Mm -hmm. you know, and be really respectful to that. I think that at our core, we're sort of all the same. And I don't personally feel so different now in my age, you know, from 15 years ago or 20 years ago, it's like you continue to grow and you learn new things, but I think it's a universal experience that hopefully everyone gets to go through Mm. is making it through those years. And um, Mm. I guess for me, it's been all about being trying to honor that, that time, you know? Um, But I would also say that for YA, half the audience is adult women, honestly, Mm. like, so like, I think people read to feel understood. And I think people read 
to remember Mm -hmm. um, and to go back to that time or even to go back to a time that you didn't get to experience. You know, so if you didn't have a high school experience of falling in love, it is really fun to be able to explore someone else's. Right, right. Do you ever feel a need to stay relevant with like the new generation and the trends that are going on just to make sure, you know, to make sure that it's being appropriately reflected in the film and in in your books? I, I mean, I'm on TikTok, so like, (laughs) which I I genuinely love. I don't find that part of it to be hard because I just like youth culture. Mm. I think that young people are always doing cool, smart, fun stuff. And I think it's boring um, to like look down on that or think that like it's not worth your time or like people who are finding that stuff to be silly. I just think they're silly because Mm. it makes them seem really like stale. You know what I mean? So I've always enjoyed youth culture. It's not that I feel like I'm still a teen, but I think that I still relate to young people, you know, but I also feel like when I was young, I also really related to my friends, like grandparents, do you know what I mean? Like, it's really just connecting with people and being able to see everyone has a story to tell. Everybody is important. Everybody um, brings like their own like history. And I think as a storyteller, I'm just curious, very curious. And I'm always wanting to know what people's stories are and understanding their character. So that, that for me just kind of reaches over all like of the age spectrum. Oh, that's amazing. I think um, we also asked that question because I think over over here on the podcast trying to figure out like, what are, what is TikTok? What is, what are reels? Like trying to like, you know, um, I guess we're trying to stay relevant or I'm trying to figure that out too. Um, Jenny, you mentioned something earlier that I loved about your parents being so supportive. And, you know, one thing I noticed is like, you know, to all the boy series, you know, Laura Jean is half Korean. You know, throughout the series, you know, you showcase moments of the Korean culture. Did you pull inspiration from your own life to write these moments? You know, what aspects of your culture has affected your life and work? You know, I think um, one thing that was really important for me was in the third film, when she goes to visit Korea, that Mm -hmm. I really was like pushing to have a moment for her to say like that she wishes she could speak the language and she feels like a little embarrassed and she can't. And Mm. for me, like, um, I've always struggled with that because like, I can speak Korean, but like not amazing. I understand better than I can speak. And whenever I would go to Korea, I always felt really embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and kind of shy and I would always try. Um, but then I was, I think felt worried about making some sort of like faux pas. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's kind of a common experience for second generation yeah. kids to go back and, and visit. And you feel like in some ways you feel like you feel really connected in some ways you feel really like American. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like when you're in one place, you feel like you belong, you don't belong there. And then you're in the other place and you don't really belong there either. And you're kind of neither here nor there. And so I, I wanted that little beat of a moment in the movie um, just because it was important to me that the Korea part of the film didn't feel like the same as it would feel as if they were in Italy or France. Mm-hmm for vacation like that it was be a little bit more personal especially because Lara Jean having lost her mother who was Korean that for her is really her connection to Korea is her mother mm-hmm. it really represents her mother and wanting that connection is, is thinking about her mom mm-hmm. so I wanted it to go more personal than that even though I knew it was going to be just a small portion of the movie I wanted to get that part Right. I love I love how mm-hmm. it opened with that. And I also love the music choices. They're Yes. Blackpink, like <laughs> Girl Generation. Hello. Dude, I literally was I was like jumping in my seat because I love G. So I was like, oh my god, they're starting with I G. I love G Dude. so much. Oh yeah, that was that I know. I know. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. I, that was a surprise to me when the um director played that the beginning mm-hmm. for me when we were um 
an editing bay. Like I was like, oh my God, I love G. Like, so <laughs> it's fun because there's so much great, fun, new K-pop, but then there's some like um, slightly mm-hmm. older hits that didn't get the same kind of like airplay in the US that it, I hope people will fall in love with like Girls' Generation um, all over again. Yeah. Yeah, Jenny, what you kind of um, explained about that feeling of not really belonging in one place or the other, uh, the three of us and also a lot of our listeners can definitely relate to that, being ethnically from one background and being raised by parents from one generation, from one kind of cultural background, and then living and pretty much being from another culture. How do you feel like uh, that has maybe affected your work in your industry? So as an Asian-American writer, what are some of the most challenging experiences you have faced in the industry? The industry has changed a lot since I first started out. Like I sold my first book when I was in my early 20s. Oh, wow. And now, you know, so my first book came out in 2006. There's been a, a lot of, I would say, evolution um, in the way that publishing approaches um, non-white stories. And I would say when I was first starting out, it was kind of like, the expectations were going to be, if you were Asian American, then you were going to be like Amy Tam. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Where every story was was about being Asian or the trauma of being mm-hmm. uh, Asian American. And that really wasn't what I was interested in doing. I think that those stories are really important, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. And I think I was kind of bucking against a feeling of being put into a box of, um, here's the kind of story that we want from you. And that story is going to be pain. And mm-hmm. so I didn't, I just didn't want to do that. So I, I've always tried to write the stories that I feel excited to write. And I wanted to be in a place where I could write whatever I wanted to write. So, mm-hmm. um, and to build your audience and to, to gain that trust, um, that can take time. And I think now it's, it's easier to get published, um, as a person of color, because they've seen that there are some successes with that. Mm-hmm. But I think when I was first starting out, you know, I think I was the only, maybe one of one or two Korean American YA authors, you know, or even Asian American authors um, in the in the business. And everything's changed really quickly in a way because to all the boys I've loved before, the book came out in 2014. And that was the first book to have a picture of an Asian girl on the cover on the New York Times bestseller list for mm. children's books. You know what I mean? Like that, that was only a few years ago. Um, and so now I think sometimes people don't appreciate how fast things have changed mm. because I tried to sell a book with an Asian American character early on. And I was told that they already had one. They weren't going to buy another one. Mm. And so there really was a sense that scarcity mentality was true. They had one per season and they weren't going to do more. You know, mm. I think that for me, so much of the journey has been about trying to stay true to what I want to do and also um, find ways to be fresh and um, connect, find connection with my readers. If you shop online and want to get discounts on your purchases, which I know you do because I do too. I would recommend you download Honey. Honey is a browser extension that is completely free to add and that will scour the internet for promo codes for you so that you don't have to do the work searching. And it applies the best code it finds specifically to your cart. 
The browser extension supports over 30,000 stores online. They range from sites that have tech and gaming products to popular fashion brands and even food delivery. And it's super simple. When you check out, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for all the coupons it can find for that site. I used to go searching for coupons all the time. But now I know Honey will do all that work for me. Last week for Valentine's Day, I got Philip a tulip building toy, which sounds a little weird, but he loved it because that's his favorite flower. And I was able to get 10% off, which was amazing. And he will never know. (laughs) If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash A-B-G. That's joinhoney.com slash A-B-G. Lately, it's been quite difficult for me to relax. My body feels super tense and I've been having trouble falling asleep. Usually a nice bubble bath does a trick, but I've been needing a little bit more help with winding down. For moments like this, I turn to CBD and have been using Ned. Ned's sleep blend has helped me tremendously with easing my body into relaxation. Ned produces the highest quality full-spectrum CBD extracted from organically grown hemp plants. I currently use Ned's sleep blend for nights I need extra help relaxing. For those stressful days, I usually take a bubble bath, hop into bed, and then I drop the CBD blend under my tongue. Within an hour, I can feel the tension leave my body and I'm ready for a blissful slumber. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for ABG listeners. Go to www.helloned.com ABG or enter ABG at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first description order plus free shipping. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash A-B-G to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. It's here, our new weekly live show on Stereo. If you're enjoying our weekly episodes and looking for more ways to listen to, chat with, and connect with us, we've started doing weekly live sessions on an app called Stereo. We've already gone live a couple of times and are excited to continue experimenting with this new format that we're currently doing only on stereo. If you attend these live shows, you'll be able to record messages or questions and send them directly to us during the live, and we'll play them and answer them on the spot. Come and join us, won't you? This week, we'll be going live on Thursday evening PST. For more info, go to our Instagram at Asian Boss Girl. Click on the link tree in our profile and tap on the link that says weekly live show on stereo. We'll be hosting these every week and talking about various topics. We might expand on the episode that came out that week, uh, talk about shows we're watching, maybe a part two of a previous episode topic, or we might talk about something completely new that's either based on current events or whatever is on our minds. Again, head to our Instagram account at Asian Boss Girl and click on the link that says weekly live show on stereo to make sure you get an alert when we go live. Join us every week on the stereo app. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, so we know that, you know, you you are a writer, but with this uh, series on Netflix, you also executive produced. Um, how was your experience as an Asian American female working in, in kind of, you know, it's like a parallel similar industry, but definitely still a different industry. Did you feel like you faced particular challenges? I think it's always hard being, you know, the only one in the room mm-hmm. because you have to point out um, things that other people don't see, you know, and I think also there is so much pressure just on representation where you feel like people are like, this better be good mm-hmm. or else um, you're not going to get another one. This is, this is it. Like, you know, if this, if this doesn't do well, then there's not going to be another teen romance with an Asian person in it. Like mm-hmm. anytime soon, we've seen that happen, you know, like all American girl, there was nothing for like 19 years or something after that came out because people felt like it didn't do well enough. Although mm-hmm. I think for the time, I think it actually did pretty well. I think the numbers were actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's just like a lot of pressure on creators, not only to um, in, within the industry, but within your community as well. I think what I would wish is that we just have more options and a bigger spectrum of experience. And so that the things that get made don't have this huge pressure on them to do well and to also to portray um, the Asian American experience in its totality. Mm. Because as we know, it is not monolithic and there's no, there is no one Asian American experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone has a different experience and I wish that we could get more of that spectrum. So um, people could just be free to tell like a really good story that people connect to. Yeah. I think about that all the time too. I'm like, there are so many love stories out there, but I think when it comes to an Asian love story, it's like, okay, well, we already had this one. It's like, well, there could be a different one. You know, (laughs) there are many different experiences out there. But I think that is very admirable that you stuck to what you wanted to write because you definitely helped to open up doors for other Asian women and men and sharing, you know, our experience. Um, and thank you for that. You. Um, something that we talk about a lot on our podcast uh, is this notion of imposter syndrome. Obviously, you've been in so many different rooms where you might be the only Asian woman in the room. Were there ever any moments where you felt imposter syndrome? And if so, can you walk us through a moment where you might have felt it the heaviest? I think for me, it's it's. I have not felt that way in publishing because I feel very comfortable there because I've I've been there for a long time mm-hmm. and I really understand that business and I understand the New York culture because that's where publishing lives. Um, I think for me, the harder entry has been into the Hollywood aspect because it's really different mm-hmm. than publishing. It's it's. I think publishing is really straightforward. Where if they buy your book, then your book is is going to be published. Um, and in film, there's a lot more sort of nuance about people making a lot of deals and then rarely does something actually get made. Mm. Uh, so it's, it was, it was for me, it was like kind of finding my feet within, within this culture and also having to learn really fast. Mm. Like I would say that for producing, it was really baptism by fire. Like I just dove into the deep end and I'm like, I don't know how to swim, but I'm going to have to like pretend like I know how to swim yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and learning all the different like lingo, even mm. like, for instance, um, 
like just different like terminology about being on set and also the set etiquette, like of the questions that you can ask somebody, you, there's certain questions that you can only ask of the director. And then also um, you're not allowed to like speak to the talent about, you know what I mean? Like there's just certain rules um, that, or even like who says where there's just a lot of etiquette. And I'm somebody who's, I think probably because of being sort of of two cultures is really sensitive Mm -hmm. to etiquette and like, you know, Nunchi, mm-hmm. you know, the Korean word Nunchi, like of, of understanding the vibe of the room and making sure that you're not like overstepping mm-hmm. or um, that you know your position in the room. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm really like attuned to that. So I always feel like, um, like, I don't want to make a mistake when it comes mm-hmm. to that. So I would say that's probably the time when I felt like, I don't know if that's imposter syndrome necessarily, but it's of maybe uncertain, like less certain, even though in other aspects of my career, I felt very comfortable and confident. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine the feeling because I, I, it's very like, um, I feel like it's very part of the Asian culture. When you say nunchi, it sounds familiar. I think it's very like, uh, your parents teach you like, oh, be careful, be polite, make sure you're not like, in a sense, like ruffling any feathers. So, so in essence, you're kind of like walking on eggshells, but you're not trying to, but you're trying to just be respectful to everyone involved. So I can imagine beyond that, you're like, Okay, I'm gonna just be careful, but I want to, you know, be involved too. So yeah, one of the worst like Korean insults is like, oh, they have, they have no nunchi, mm-hmm. yeah. which is like somebody who's so like so like tactless and like boorish and like kind of tacky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I'm not gonna try to be that. You know? <laughs> um, no, I don't want to be that. But, but but Jenny, do you feel like that's necessary in within like mm-hmm. Hollywood? Because you hear that all the time that you have to just be like super type A personality, super in front of the room, just getting your message out there. Is that something that you felt like you've you've had to like struggle with? No, for me, I feel comfortable because in a way, I think that being an author has really prepared me for this because, mm. um, you know, we have to go out and sell our books. Honestly, like in a way, being an author, it feels like being a traveling salesperson. Mm. You like almost like you have a trunk and then you pull out like, here are my wares, <laughs> here are my books, yeah. please buy them. You know, that's how it's like a, at a book signing, especially when you're just starting out and people don't know who you are. Yeah. It's like, can I interest you in this book? (laughs) Um, And then you have to be able to to pitch it and to do the quick few sentence elevator pitch Mm -hmm. to say, here's what my book is. Um, And so I feel very comfortable doing that and also comfortable getting on stage and having to kind of um, riff. And I would say the hardest audience you'll ever find is a room of like 13 year olds Mm. and like in a middle school assembly because they're bored and they're like, entertain me. I'm bored. That's, so funny. <laughs> That's actually really true. Yeah. So I really feel like those experiences have prepared me well being in a room pitching a movie or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I really do think if you've never lived until you've looked out into the audience of like 300 kids and like, see their like, if you see like stony faces. <laughs> One time I did a school visit and this girl in the front row was like, who the hell is she? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I go, I'm an author. I'm here to talk about my book. Um, but you just have to kind of roll with it and they're not impressed. You got to like capture their attention. So yeah, I think that that's the hardest audience um, you'll ever meet. Yes. We've we've definitely done a couple of uh, college speaking events where we felt the same. We're like trying to make a joke and then no one, you just see a stone. Okay. (laughs) But, but on the other side of the coin, there's nobody more like when they love it, there's nobody more passionate, mm-hmm. more pure, um, just like pure emotions and like joy and like tears and connection. And like, you just feel like it's a giant, like beating heart in front of you, you know? Very and true. that is like the best part of my job yeah. is being able to connect um, with young readers who 
are telling me this is the first book um, that they ever even really read by themselves or that made them want to read. And being a part of that journey of a young reader is really profound and moving. And then they will always remember you because I always remember the books I read as a kid. That experience is singular, you know, and I think writing adult novels, fandom is different in that way. You know what I mean? Like where I think as a young person, you can become so in love with um, a story and want to just get lost in that world. Mm -hmm. And in part because it's sort of your first time really having that experience. Yeah. I will definitely say that, like, I could totally agree with that feeling of being young and reading a book. But I also want to say that I felt that feeling watching your first movie. I didn't expect to feel like the high school nostalgia that I did watching. And I was like really surprised because I was like, oh, man, I'm at this age and I feel this way about this high school romance. But I think it talks about, you know, when you're said about human human experiences being the same, I felt that. And I think it's a great opportunity that your book got turned to a series because a lot of, you know, people are touched by the movies. Can you describe the moment that you found out your book was going to be made into a film? Like, that is amazing. You know, I always get asked this question and I don't have a very good answer in part because there's so many like stutter steps with it, Mm -hmm. you know, where you hear it's being optioned or, Mm. um, you know, now they're really like, it's getting like serious. But when you have been in the position more than once, you get kind of inured to it in a way because you don't mm-hmm. want to get your hopes up. Mm-hmm. Um, so because things so rarely work out, like if I've seen so many of my friends um, get movie deals and then they announce it and then a year later, everyone's like, so when's, what's going on with that? And mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, like for whatever reasons that have nothing to do with the book itself, the things like kind of just like fall apart, maybe because um, the actress no longer is available or the studio um, has a new head and then they want to go in a different direction. So many different reasons why things don't work out mm. that it's just this kind of rare magic when it does. Um, so for me, I think the moment I was on set and I was like seeing it was when I really believed it. And that is probably the moment I remember because it was just seeing all these people working on this film, seeing the crew running around um, talking about like Peter Kavinsky's mom's kitchen and how that needs a look. And that made me kind of tear up a little bit because Mm. it's like people have decided to spend their time and give their talents working on the story that I came up with um, and spending, you know, months out of their life to do this thing. That's a really big honor. Yeah, that's amazing. So we know this is the final installment of the film. How do you feel about the series being over now? I feel, I feel really good about it. I feel really at peace with it because, you know, I think that we really gave it our all. I think that we went into it wanting to make the fans happy and to really finish well. And so I feel satisfied with that, honestly. Um, and it feels good to like close this chapter and, and then sort of dream about what's next. Um, because as a storyteller, I have so many stories inside of me mm-hmm. that I'm so excited to tell. And it is satisfying to have finished this one and feel proud of it. Hi, ABGs and ABBs. We know this past year has been challenging on everyone's health, physical, mental, and emotional. And this past month especially has been particularly challenging for the Asian American community. At Asian Boss Girl, we are big proponents of taking care of one's mental and emotional health. The three of us have all shared our personal experiences with talk therapy and encourage anyone who is at all interested in therapy to take the step to try it. 
Our partner, BetterHelp, is an amazing resource. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Asian Boss Girl listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash abg10. That's betterhelp.com slash abg10 for 10% off your first month. As much as I love online shopping, it can feel super exhausting scrolling through multiple sites to find something you love. I always add things to my cart and then never follow through with purchasing it. You know, you never know if things will fit, returns are a hassle, especially if you don't have a printer, and you don't know what store to start with. I've been putting off refreshing my wardrobe for a while, but now with Stitch Fix, I don't have to. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. I love the process of sharing my style through the personalized quiz and really love how they send you a preview of what's in your box before they mail it out. It really helps to ensure you get pieces you really enjoy. Once you get your Stitch Fix box, you try on your pieces at home before you buy, keep what you love, and turn what you don't. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash abg, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash abg for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash abg. Hey, ABGs and ABBs, a friendly reminder to start looking into your taxes. If you're feeling overwhelmed and looking for some assistance, you can look into H&R Block. They're available to answer a quick question, check your work, or do all the work for you. Their tax pros have experience that you can count on. With an average of 10 years' experience, no tax situation is too complex for H&R Block's tax pros to get every credit and deduction you're entitled to. They guarantee 100% accuracy. Following an unexpected year, your refund matters. For 20% off online tax filings, go to hrblock.com slash bossgirl. That's hrblock.com slash bossgirl for 20% off online tax filings. Well, Jenny, you have achieved so much already as an author, now wearing so many different hats as a producer, too. You are truly an Asian boss girl, an Asian boss woman. <laughs> so what is next for you in the, the next year, in the next five years? And how can we as a community support you? Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> um, Gosh, guys, thank you. I um have been doing a lot of screenwriting. And so you can look forward to seeing some of that. Um, hopefully. And I'm working on an adult novel. Mm-hmm. I'm working on another YA novel. I just have so many ideas and like not enough time. And I think I've never been busier mm-hmm. than I am right now because I'm working on literally one, two, three, four, four projects at the same time, um, not including the novels. So oh, wow. <laughs> it's a really, it's the busy, but really fertile time. And I'm glad in some ways to have had this kind of year of being at home because I've been able to really like dig into the work mm. and hopefully come out of this horrible pandemic um, with some things to share with the world. It's been it's been an interesting hibernation period for you to kind of like work through your next few projects. Yeah. Yeah. My friend, my friend Jen was like, you're like a butterfly. Ah. <laughs> and then when I come out of the cocoon yeah. and I'll, out of chrysalis <laughs> and um, like here guys, here, I have something yeah. for you. You know, many of our listeners are are younger girls and there could be, you know, the next Jenny Han out there listening as well or or anyone who's interested in in writing and in in screenwriting maybe particularly as well. What is one piece of advice that you've picked up throughout your career and that you always go back to that you'd like to share with our listeners? 
I think the advice I would give is to always present your best mm. and um, to really take the time um, to hone your craft mm. and polish it. And, and before you show anybody um, to have done the work and to put those hours into it and then hopefully to show other people and get their read on it and be able to take that feedback um, to take the criticism and make what you're doing better and then go out with it. Cause I think sometimes um, people, a lot of times people ask me for advice on how to get published and they are like, I'm ready to like send to agents and I'm like, I'm ready to, to get this book published. And, I'm, and then I'm asking them how, how long they've spent like revising it and if they've shown like critique partners and oftentimes the answer is no. And I think that you only get but so many shots in this world mm-hmm. and you really want to present like with your absolute best. So I guess that's my advice is, is to, to really um, take the time to hone your craft. You don't need to be in a rush. I think sometimes because um, there's a lot of like young success that young people feel like they need to hurry and um, do something too. And I think it's good to take your time and um, sort of like hone your voice because your voice is what makes you unique. Yeah. That's your own point of view um, that no one else can have. And I don't think there are any completely fresh new stories, but what you do have that's unique is your voice mm-hmm. and your way of looking at the world. And so spend time with that and broadening that perspective. Oh, that was beautiful. I feel like that's very relevant for, for us too, what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Much needed advice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jenny. Uh, this is such a great, I don't know, I feel like I learned a lot from you and we got to, you know, Aww. link up in the K-pop song stuff and switch songs. Yeah, you guys are so sweet. <laughs> Y'all are the sweetest. I love seeing your smiling faces. This has been like a highlight of my day. Aww. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we can't wait for everyone to watch the final movie and we will definitely be following you in your future projects. Oh, thanks. Yes, thank you. And listeners, don't forget to check out To All the Boys, Always Forever, out on Netflix now. Jenny is such, she's so relatable and down to earth and mm-hmm. it is pretty amazing what she's been able to accomplish as an Asian American woman in this industry, in both the publishing industry and hitting the Netflix scene. It's incredible. That was so amazing. I will have to say this is probably one of the interviews we've done so far that I've been the most nervous for. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she just, when she came into the virtual room, it was very, she's very comfortable and very very down to earth. Well, if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. We got some new merch in there, y'all. And if you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dear ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at Asian Boss Girl. We also have a few shout outs for today, a few birthday shout outs to start off. Happy 30th birthday to Megan from your best friend and sister Melody in Michigan. Happy 25th to Shirley from your friend Christine in New York City. And happy birthday to Carol and congrats on your new job from Anisha and Chelsea at Santa Clara University. Happy birthday to Ruby from your boyfriend Alex. And lastly, here's a shout out from Isabel in Toronto to her besties, Melissa, Vivian, Carrie, and Judy for pursuing your side hustle passions and supporting the Asian American voice. And if you'd like to send a friend or loved one a shout out. Check out the link tree in our Instagram bio for details.
And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. So catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for joining us. And remember to check out our weekly live show that will be happening every week on the Stereo app. Last week, we talked about Lunar New Year. And the week before that, we reminisced about the 90s and early 2000s. To find out what we talk about this week, you'll have to tune in on Thursday night. Stereo is the app for live social conversations, and we want to talk directly with you, our listeners. You can join our show, ask questions, and share your experiences and opinions live with us. Download the Stereo app if you haven't already, and join us live this Thursday. For a link to the show, check out our Instagram at Asian Boss Girl and click on the link that says Weekly Live Show on Stereo. Instagram.com slash Asian Boss Girl and click on our link tree to grab the link right after this episode. See you all there Thursday.